Well, one of the television programs I absolutely loved uh, when I was growing up was Leave it to Beaver. Now, one of the reasons I think I was intrigued with Leave it to Beaver is because I knew that that was the exact same era when my mother grew up. And I could just picture my mom in a Leave it to Beaver kind of environment. But uh, beyond that, it was just there was something nice about Ward and June Cleaver and and how Ward would. I mean, June would always meet Ward at the end of the day at the door. He'd come in with his briefcase and oh, she was there to take his coat and everything. And there was just something heartwarming about you know, watching a Wally and the Beeb kind of walk home from school with their books over their shoulder and then come into the kitchen to a nice, tall, cool glass of milk and cookies warm out of the oven and, and then sit and tell uh, their mom all about their day. I mean, there was just something heartwarming about it. I know not very realistic, but still something very heartwarming about it. Now, that's not to say that the Cleavers had the perfect family because they had their share of domestic difficulties. I mean, I remember the time when when the Beeve got stuck on top of a billboard setting on a lady's hand. I don't know if you remember that, but he was very disobedient and naughty and climbed up this billboard and the fire department finally had to come and rescue him. And his parents were driving home and they wondered, what is all this hubbub fire trucks? And there's some dumb kid up on the... it's Beaver, you know, well, he got disciplined pretty harshly for that little episode. Then there was a time that Wally, uh, Mail ordered for some special shampoo and washed his hair with it and it turned bright orange and they couldn't get it to go back to normal color. I mean, some tragic things in the Cleaver household. There was the other episode where where Beaver uh, in direct disobedience to his teacher, Miss Landers, went to this place and stuck his head in between these uh, metal fence grates and got his head stuck in the fence and was stuck there all day until, again, they had to come and rescue him. And it was very clear that he'd been disobedient, though he tried to explain it away. So, I mean, it wasn't just all bliss in the Cleaver household. They had difficulties just like we all do. But still, there was something nice about the stability and the love of the Cleaver household. You knew that the kids really did obey and honor their parents for the most part. And the parents seemed to place their children as the, the kind of the pinnacle of their lives. And the highest priority in their lives were Wally and the Beeb. Now, they also always had to contend with that rascal Eddie Haskell, who was always getting everyone in trouble and always sowing seeds of disobedience in their minds and stuff. But uh, they were able to deal with old Eddie, too. You know, it, it's amazing, though, how in the last 50 years, family life in America has changed, hasn't it? In fact, the Cleaver household really seems somewhat prehistoric to most people today, like a, a dinosaur from other days. In fact, many sociologists and stuff will, will really rant and rave about how there really never was such a, a household as the Cleaver household. That was just all kind of fantasy. And sure, we'd have to agree to an extent that was true. But still in the 1950s, in the early 1960s, the Cleaver household was probably much more representative of the American family than it would be today. Today, the families that we depict on television are things like married with children. 
where the children disrespect the dad and make fun of him. The dad mocks and, and, and mimics the wife. And it's just absolute chaos in the household. The kids aren't getting their heads stuck in fences and getting stuck on billboards. Their problems are much more significant and formational, it would seem. Of course, that was back in the 80s and 90s. Now we've got the Simpsons, the average American family. Full of disrespect and anger and all kinds of things. It's amazing how the family has changed. In fact, statistics tell us today that you would be hard pressed to find a young adult who came from a healthy, two parent, stable family where mom and dad were together the entire time of the relationship and who are basically healthy and whole emotionally and psychologically. Those kind of young adults are harder and harder to come by. Do you realize that the family is God's environment for creating whole, healthy and holy adults and participants in in our citizenship and our country and the church? It all begins with the family. You realize that most of the despots and dictators and mass murders that we can identify, including people like Adolf Hitler, that the root of their problems stem back to their family of origin and incredible abuse and mistreatment and parents who are cheating on one another and adultery and incest taking place in their homes. Most people that turn out in very challenging ways socially, it's a result as you trace it back. To problems in the home. What happens in the home is incredibly important in the formation of healthy persons and psychology. And so it's very, very important that we take God's instructions on how the family should fun- function seriously because it is so vital to the health. Uh, And the welfare of our children and the future citizens of our country and the future leaders of our church. Uh, Just this last week or late uh, the week before that you're reading the paper about the father who loaded his young daughter into his airplane and took off and then intentionally flew the plane into his estranged mother-in-law's house, killing them both, killing them because he was so upset uh, with family issues More and more, we can turn to the local papers and watch the local news and at least monthly, if not weekly, read about another estranged parent who's either kidnapped the children and run off or who's actually murdered them all in the family home because of problems. And the kids that go into schools with guns and bombs and begin shooting away randomly, more than likely struggle with certain issues formationally that we could probably take back to family issues of one kind or another. Now, I'm not ruling out just blatant sin and rebellion and willfulness because at our core, we are all sinners and can do some pretty depraved things. But the the reality is oftentimes that comes from somewhere. Well, in spite of the drastic declining state of the family today, how can we as believers really nurture and build healthy families and and happy children and an environment that fosters positive growth and formation in the lives of our children? 
How can we ensure that we're creating the kind of a family environment that God designed us to experience? Well, again, God's word is very practical. In Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four, the Apostle Paul uh, speaks very directly about family life. Last week, we looked at uh, the ingredients in a rich marriage relationship. That it requires a husband who is sacrificially loving his wife. And it requires a wife who is responding appropriately to her husband's sacrificial love. Well, I want you to know that the verses that we look at today really have to take place in the context of that marriage relationship. I'm just here to tell you, and you can disagree with me, you can argue about it, you cannot like me, but that's okay. The reality is you cannot have an unhealthy marriage relationship and rear real healthy children. It's just not possible. Because children grow up in that environment and they absorb things. Not that we say, but they absorb our behavior, the way we do things, the way we talk to one another. They even absorb some of the things in the air, the stress, the tension that they can feel. And it all over a period of 18 to 20 years ends up having its impact in their lives. And that's why it is so vital that we give attention first to our marriage relationships, because that's the context of our family relationships and our children grow up in that. And and so I want you to listen as Paul shares here in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. Sounds very basic, very fundamental, and yet so incredibly challenging to actually live out on a daily basis. Paul says this. He says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, and I think we could include mothers as well here. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, again, as I as we, we kind of look more closely at these, please bear in mind that this happens in the context of the verses that we talked about, about the marriage relationship and, and how husband and wife are treating one another. But in these verses, Paul shares two ingredients in a formula for a fulfilling kind of family life. And the first ingredient that he talks about is children who honor and obey their parents. Absolutely essential. And it's an ingredient that children actually bring to creating a healthy family environment. Now, when you think about it, all of us sitting here this morning are children, right? We all have parents somewhere. We were all brought up by someone. We all were brought into existence by other people somewhere. And so we're all children. Now, We often start to think once we have our own children, we start to think more as parents and we start thinking of children as our children. And sometimes we forget that no matter how old we get or how old our parents get, we are still children of somebody else. And we need to parent oftentimes in the context and reality of that, that we're still ourselves children. And so Paul says here, 
that children have a responsibility to honor and obey their parents. He says, honor and obey your parents, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Now, when he says that this is the first commandment with a promise, he's referring back to Exodus 20:12 and the Ten Commandments. And the commandment to honor and obey your parents is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments that actually has a promise attached to it. That if you will do what this commandment says, the result will be kind of the the outcome here of this promise that's given. And the commandment is, first of all, to obey your parents. Well, what does it mean actually to obey your parents, for children to obey their parents? Well, the word obey simply means to hear under the authority of someone else. For people to obey, for children to obey their parents, it means that they hear their parents, recognize their place of authority in the family and in their lives, and then do what their parents say. So when a child hears a mother or a father as their parents say, Johnny, I want you to go clean your room. Johnny understands this is my my mom or my dad talking. They're an authority in our house. And they say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll go do it. And they go and they obey. And that's obedience. And we are all very familiar with that scenario, aren't we? How our children just, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll go do it. When I get gotten ready, you know, uh, but that, that's what obedience is. And so for our children, when they're still living at home and they're living under our roof, under our care, that's what it means to obey your parents. Now, what does it mean for us who are no longer living at home? Are we still responsible to obey our parents, to hear them as an authority figure in our life? And then do we just obey everything our parents say? No. I think once we leave home and we're responsible for ourselves, that obedience command changes, but it's not completely discarded. What it means to obey our parents as we get older and have our own families is still to listen to them respectfully, to recognize the place of authority that they have in our life and our extended family. And to take into consideration what they say, not allow ourselves to be blinded by our pride or our anger or a lot of other things that sometimes kind of clouds our opinion of our parents. And to listen to them and to respond appropriately to it, to obey them in that sense. And some of us would do well to listen to our parents still at the age of 45 or 50, if we're lucky enough to have our parents and to do what they're suggesting we do. But sometimes because of our own pride or arrogance or anger, or a lot of other things, we kind of, what do they know? They're not responsible for me anymore. You know, I don't have to obey you. Um, and, and as a result, sometimes I think we miss out on some pretty good advice that maybe our parents could give us. But whether we're still living at home or whether we're out creating our own home, this command to obey our parents is still something that we need to heed. In fact, in Proverbs 23, 22, it says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. You see, just because we're older and our parents are older and they might not do things as quickly as they used to do and they might frustrate us sometimes, that doesn't mean that we don't still have a responsibility 
to listen to them, to hear them out and then take what they say under advisement. And if we're really smart, probably 90 percent of what they say should somehow probably be incorporated into our lives. But it's not like Johnny, go clean your room and you have to go do it. You see, there's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, I'll never forget when I was about 36 years old, went back to my family home in Spokane, Washington, and I hadn't seen my mom and dad for about a year. And we brought the whole family back for a summer vacation. And my brothers who live in the area with my mom and dad constantly, I hadn't seen them for probably a year and a half to two years. And so it was a big family celebration. We got back and we drove and it was summer and everyone was sitting out on the back porch at mom and dad's house. And, you know, we were greeting everyone. And, and later that afternoon, as we were all just kind of getting comfortable again, my brothers were there and, and we were just kind of reconnecting as brothers do laughing and joking and teasing one another like we used to do. And, and I remember someone made some kind of bodily noise. And one of our kids started giggling, kind of, you know, and then my brothers kind of started saying, you know, a few wisecracks. And and I kind of joined in, you know, good pastor that I am and made some crass remark or something. Nothing really bad, but, you know, just kind of. And my dad was sitting there in his chair, not happy. And uh, my brother, John, pulled me aside real quick and he said, don't don't keep this up. This does not make dad happy. And I went, oh, okay." Later that night, we were in the house and my dad said, Sam. I'd like to see you in my room. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding you. And my dad sat me on the edge of his bed, 37 years old, kids of my own, sat me on the edge of his bed, and he began to cry. And he said, Sam, I want you to know that, I know you didn't mean anything that, by that today, but not too long ago, I, there was a pastor that I really, really respected and loved, and I went to his house for a Super Bowl game. And at the Super Bowl game, He started making comments and wisecracks and really off-color jokes that just absolutely shocked me. And I just lost all respect for him as a pastor. It was just amazing how he acted here and how he acted there. And he said, Sam, I would hate for that ever to happen to you, for anyone to see you as a different kind of person. And I just would really encourage you to give attention to that kind of thing. Wow. At first, I got to tell you, I was mad as I could be, like Who do you think you are? You know, that's I didn't sin. You know, I didn't break any commandments and and you're not my boss anymore. I can say whatever I want to say, you know, and he was very gentle and obviously incredibly moved. And it was out of love for me. And I went back and I told Sue, I said, I just really can't because you know why? Because I was convicted because I felt like, you know what? He's right. And the next morning when I was at Starbucks having my quiet time, it's like the Lord just kept saying to me, listen to your dad. Sam, listen to your dad. And as I began hearing that and remembering my dad in tears and that he just loved me and cared about me and didn't want me to discredit myself and my ministry for Christ. When I got done with my quiet time, I went back to our house, my dad's house, and I gave him a big hug. and I said, Dad, thanks for the spanking. I really needed that. And then later that day, I brought my two boys up and I sat with my dad and I told my two boys exactly what had happened. And I said, see, guys, it's never too old for your dad to give you a spanking. So keep that in mind, you know, which really encouraged them. But the reality is we can always learn from our parents. And oftentimes it's a pride issue. It's an arrogance issue. And so our children We'll see how we respond to our parents, their grandparents, and they're going to 
begin seeing, well, I don't have, you don't obey your parents or treat your parents nice, so I don't have to treat. I mean, it's this whole cyclical thing, this this family that God has created. And if we want our children to obey and respect us, then we need to model obedience and, in a sense, respect to our parents, no matter how old they get. But secondly, Paul says that we're responsible to honor our parents. We're responsible to honor our parents. Look at what he says in verses two and three. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. To honor someone is to fix value to them, to fix value to them. It's the whole idea of giving them value, respect, uh, reverence in a sense, kindness, really attaching value to our parents and honoring them for who they are and what they've done. Do you realize if it weren't for your parents, no matter how terrible they were to you, no matter if they were abusive or mean or whatever, you have life today because of your parents. I mean, the reality is we owe them a lot just because we have our life and our existence And so in that sense, we still need to honor them and we can't sometimes just ignore bad things that happen, but we have to still honor and attach a certain amount of value to our parents and treat them respectfully, particularly as they get older. And as children, and there aren't a whole lot of children here today that are younger children, but we need to attach value to our parents and recognize that they do know more than we do. They've been around the block, that they don't say things to us and tell us not to watch TV or not to play video games just because they want to make our life miserable. It's because they love us and they care for us and we need to honor them and recognize the value that they have in their in our lives. Now, listen, I know that some people grew up in very, very painful family circumstances. And you say to me and you want me to honor that jerk who beat me or who, who abused me. You want me to attach value to them? Well, yeah, because you're a Christian, right? You're a Christ follower. You're supposed to love your enemies. You're supposed to pray for people who despitefully use you. That's what Christianity is all about. Let me tell you, my mother grew up in the home of an abusive, mean-spirited alcoholic. My grandpa was the meanest kind of alcoholic. And when my mom would bring dates home to meet the family, my grandpa would be sloppy drunk and he would get down on his knees and bark like a dog and do all kinds of incredibly humiliating and embarrassing things. He was not a nice person for the most part of his life. But when my mom and dad accepted Christ when I was about five or six years old, obviously their lives changed and they began loving my grandma and grandpa and and really trying to to share Christianity with them and that lifestyle. My grandpa never really bought into it. But when he had a stroke and my grandma was already gone, my mom was the first one to open up our home for grandpa to come live with us. She did his laundry. She took care of him, even when he was still a little bit demanding and and she didn't iron his clothes just perfect or didn't wash the right clothes the right way. And she'd kind of get upset. But with grandpa, she was always loving and caring and she cared for him till the day he died. And, you know, before he died, about a month and a half before he died, he had the pastor of the church come over and he wanted to know what it what it took to be a Christian. And he was baptized in the bathtub at my mom and dad's house a month and a half before he died. And I believe it's because my mom 
honored my grandpa, even though he was abusive and ugly and she had every reason in the world to hate and despise him. Somehow, by the grace of God, she was able to love him with the love of Christ, recognizing he was acting out of his weakness and his sin all those years, not out of the best part of him. And God has honored that. And both my grandmother and grandfather became Christians very late in life before they died. And I know it's because of the love that my mom and dad continued to show to them when they really didn't deserve it. We need to, as parents or as children, honor and obey our parents no matter how old we get. And we need to set that kind of example for our children. But there's a second ingredient in a fulfilling family life, and that's this. Parents who encourage and nurture their children. Look at verse 4. Paul says, fathers, and I think mothers here, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Paul says for us as parents, there's really two roles. We need to, first of all, not provoke our children to anger. Now, that word provoke literally means to exasperate, to exasperate, to frustrate, to make our kids angry. And one of the primary ways we as parents can provoke or exasperate our children to anger is by placing unrealistic expectations on our children. When we place unrealistic expectations on our children, it will be provoking and exasperating to them. So, for example, what are the expectations you place on your children in terms of their school performance? Do you expect them to be straight A students? Or... Can you realistically expect them to do their best? And if for them that's B's and C's or even C's with a couple D's sprinkled in, can you encourage them and love them and, and you know, be positive with them and not have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations? You know, in our family, we've got four kids. Our oldest daughter, Jill, who's now 24, I mean, she struggled to get through high school. With C's and a few B's sprinkled in and she worked like crazy. But I'm telling you, she just couldn't she just couldn't do it. And I mean, that's with a pretty large sprinkling of home ec classes and some other things in there. And, you know, we thought, wow. But, you know, she did her best and she is the most precious person. And so we had to kind of, you know, set our expectations accordingly. Then our youngest son, Sammy. He wakes up and can do, you know, trigonometry in, you know, 20 minutes without even thinking about it. And he's never had anything less than an A since the day he started school. Doesn't even have to think about it. And then there's Hillary, who works like crazy and will do homework for four hours at night. And she just guts out a few A's and mostly B's. And then there's Seth, who all the way through high school, I thought the kid was going to flunk out. I mean, I thought he was going to he got some F's, he got D's and we I'd just be blown away if he brought home a C. And yet he always tested out in the 99th percentile in every test he took, had an incredibly high IQ, which really frustrated me. I said, what's wrong with you? You know, well, he was totally bored in high school, just totally bored. So we had to kind of as hard as it was kind of calibrate our expectations for him. You know, and now he's in college just doing great. But I didn't know if he would ever even make it out of high school. You know, I thought he's going to be 25, still living at home, taking the bus. You know, (laughs) you've got to have real realistic expectations for your kids when it comes to athletics, extracurricular activities. I'm telling you, there are too many parents today that are living their lives through their children, 
trying to be or make sure their children are the people or the high school students that they never were able to be. And it's not a healthy thing. This whole children's athletic thing has gotten way out of hand where parents are got their kids in, you know, ballerina stuff and band stuff and athletic stuff. And they're going from this place. I mean, it's just craziness. And the expectations that are placed on kids can exasperate and, and frustrate them. We've got to make sure that we have realistic expectations. I'm not saying no expectations, but realistic expectations of our kids. I'll never forget when my daughter, Jill, our oldest, was five years old. This just stands out in my memory. In fact, I told her again last night I was going to share this story. And and she said, oh, okay, I'm glad I'm not going to be there. But she was five years old, and and I walked by her bedroom, and she, she was the messiest person. And she still tends to be a little on the sloppy side, but she was, I mean, you could not even see the floor of her room. Her bed was unmade. I mean, there were dolls and stuffed animals everywhere. And of course, I was the one in one of those daddy moods. And I, ooh, you know, I just couldn't stand it. So I said, Jill, get up there and clean your room and don't come down until it's clean. Well, it was such a mess. I just didn't want to take the time to, to help her at five years old. Start here. Do this. You know, break it up into little pieces or something like that. I just wanted it done. When about 20 minutes, Jill came downstairs to the kitchen where I was sitting and, and she was all angry and upset and crying. I said, are you done cleaning your room? And she said, no. And then she put her hands on her hip. She, I said, well, why not? She said, because you're frustrating me. <laughs> I thought, like, oh, well, okay. So she told me, she said last night, she said, well, at least I told you how I felt, you know. And I thought, well, that's really true. I can't expect a five-year-old kid to clean up a room that I wouldn't even know where to start cleaning it up. You know, I just wanted it off my thing and just get it clean. And that was very unrealistic. We cannot have unrealistic expectations of our kids. Don't provoke them by those kinds of expectations. Secondly, Paul says that we're responsible to uh, bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What exactly does that mean? To bring them up. It means to nurture them, to help them to grow, to nurture them with tender, loving care like you would a plant to, to help them grow. And instruction there refers to uh, discipline for kind of corrective behavior. When they're doing things wrong, disciplining them in a healthy way and saying, you can't do that. Here's the boundaries. You've got to change course or this is going to get you in trouble. And instruction has to do with positive words of encouragement. It's not talking about teaching them the Bible, per se, or teaching them any subject. But the word that's used here of instruction is words of positive encouragement and nurture. Do you realize a study has been done and the study has shown that the average parent says 15 negative things to their child every single day about their grades, about their parents, about the work around the house, about this, that, that. 15 negative comments a day. And the study has shown that for every negative comment a person or a child receives, it requires 10 positive encouragements to offset the one negative that's stated. Because those negatives sink in and we take them to heart. And, and, you know, we believe those much more readily than we do the positive. Isn't that right? Someone says something negative to you and stings you. Boy, you live with that. And they say something positive and you go, oh, right, sure. You know. And so we need to be parents who are trying to encourage and, and nurture our children by sharing positive things rather than always seeing what they haven't done or where they've fallen short. 
We should, as parents, be looking and on the lookout for any good little thing that they do and then jump on that. Say, you know what? I really love it when you take the garbage out like that, Sammy, without being told that that's amazing. Even our 20, almost 21 year old son, this last, uh, you know, couple of weeks when we had this terrible snowstorm, uh, I came downstairs one morning and there was my 20 year old son out in the driveway shoveling. Didn't even have to ask him, didn't have to call him to come home from Bethlehem. Hey, can you help? Because we don't have a snowblower, you know. He was out there and I opened the door and I said, Seth, this is amazing. This is incredible. Thanks so much. Of course, an hour later, he said, can I borrow the Jeep? Um, but, but OK, at least he's learned, you know, that he needs to do his part, not just always ask for stuff. And we need to encourage them when we see them doing things well. Well, two ingredients for a, a healthy, fulfilling family relationship. Number one is the parents. Husbands loving their wives sacrificially and wives responding appropriately to that sacrificial love. But then secondly, children who obey and honor their parents, no matter how old they get, and parents who love and nurture their children instead of exasperating them and always kind of judging them. Two action steps. Number one, I'd encourage you. Now, this will be a challenge for some of you. Write a letter of appreciation to your parents, no matter how old you are. No matter how old they are right now, just sit down this week and write a letter of appreciation to your parents. And in that way, honor them, respect them, let them know that you appreciate giving you life and uh, education and, and medical treatment or whatever it is that maybe we just kind of take for granted. But write a letter of appreciation to your parents and take maybe those steps to just begin to mend fractured or broken relationships. Because I'm not naive enough to think that all of those relationships are healthy and whole. But secondly, I'd encourage you as parents to focus on encouraging your kids this week. Really resist when you catch yourself just immediately saying something negative or your room's not clean or your bed's not made or your shoes are on the floor or this or that or the other thing. Really start putting on the glasses that sees the positive little things. Now, you might have to really look, but the positive, say, I really love it when you do that. Boy, that was good that you did that. That makes me feel really good when you're responsible like that. Just try this week to kind of switch and, and do the positive enforcement rather than always the negative. Can't, can't always just get away with not doing anything negative, but would encourage you to really think about that. You know, I think every one of us would love to be a part of that kind of family, that kind of home where it's a safe haven from the world. If there's one place in the world we should be able to go to feel safe and nurtured and loved and accepted and not condemned or judged, it should be our family where we can just come home and just be enveloped, where we can enjoy one another's company. And that's all a part of God's process for developing healthy adults and members of his church. Let's pray that we would be able to do that and glorify God in that way. Father, we just thank you so much that you model for us in the Trinity what it means to have healthy relationships. That you intend to model for us in the church what it means to be a family. Father, I pray that in our biological families we might be able to live out some of your truth and really focus on developing the children that you've gifted us with. Father, help us to honor the parents that you've gifted us with.
Father, I know that oftentimes our parents, maybe they don't deserve, humanly speaking, our honor, our valuing them. But Father, we didn't deserve you valuing us enough that you would send your only son to die in our place. All the while we were spitting in his face, plucking out his beard. Father, help us to love others because we were first loved by you. So that we can model that kind of life for our kids. And Father, we pray that those kinds of families would then really bring about a change in your church. That we might truly be a family in Christ. A place that is safe. A place we don't have to worry about being criticized and gossiped about because we're all joined by the blood of Christ. Baptized in the same family by your Holy Spirit. Father, please supernaturally change us so that we might experience that kind of reality. And it's in Jesus' blessed name we ask these things. Amen.